I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, sportsmen, performers, and anyone who changes the fabric of our society. Today, we have a very special The Interviewer. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to be talking to one man who has hit the headlines recently as the first ever Maltese to row the Atlantic and has just gotten back home from two months at sea, 6,000 kilometers and back in Switzerland. Steve, thank you so much for being on the interviewer. What is it like to be back on terra firma? What is it like to be back home? That's fantastic. I'm telling you, it's so nice to have solid ground, which is not moving underneath my feet. It's so nice to be able to put a glass or anything on a table or on a surface, which is not moving you know, and not having to tie or pin everything down, uh, you know, it's it's fantastic. Having said that, it was also great at sea, but it's it's good to be back. It's good to be back on, on terra firma. Have you stopped swaying? No, you know, I'm still swaying. It's been a week <laughs> and I'm still swaying. Um, when I sit down, it's fine, but as soon as I stand up, my head's, my head's turning. It's, it's as if, you know, when you, when you get tipsy and your head starts spinning a little bit, it's been like that. It's been like that for a week. The, the the first few steps I took, my foot was going 30, 50 centimeters off the ground because, of course, when, when the boat is moving, you, you you tend to compensate. And I was walking; it was like a duck. I mean, people around me were 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 in fits. Um, <laughs> and, and and when I when I got to the when I got to the city. Uh, we got to the hotel and everything. I was literally going banging from wall to wall. And and uh, people who didn't know that we just done fifty days at sea, you know, thought I was, or I think they thought I was drunk because they gave me these these disdainful looks, sort of, you know, it's one o'clock and you already hit the bottle, sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a wobbly week. Oh my word! Well, listen, Steve, I literally have so many questions for you, but let's start off with the reason for your achievement. I know that the row was dedicated to your brother's memory who tragically suffered with a terminal brain tumor. How yeah, did you go from your loss to rowing the Atlantic? How did you make that connection? Well, as you said, that, that was the reason for doing it, you know, to honor my brother's memory. Um, I, I, I always, even before this, I always wanted to do something a little bit out there, a little bit bigger than, than let's say, normal. And, uh, and when my brother passed, uh, I wanted to do something in his memory. I also wanted to do something whereby I could raise funds for the hospice because they really helped. Well, we we needed them. They were there. They helped out. So so, so that was the the, the context. Um, I, I didn't know anything about rowing. I didn't even know how to row, to be honest. It was a very technical sport as well. I found out. Um, and and one 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 evening, I wanted to improve my German, so I, I put on the Swiss TV and I saw a program with these four Swiss guys. Who rode the ocean? Uh, it was a race uh, they did. It's called a Talisker. And I said, you know, I, I think I could actually do that. And that's that sort of fits the bill of being big enough. And I, I did my research and I, I, I thought to myself, uh, you know, I, I think I could do this. Um, so so I got myself a machine, did the training, learned how to row. And yeah, the rest, as they say, is, is, is history. You say that, but of course, you, you're in Switzerland, which is a landlocked mm -hmm. country. Um, <laughs> which true. has no open sea whatsoever. So I'm going to ask you, how did you train? Because you've been training for two years. How did you train in a country that has no sea? 
Yes, that's that's true. So, so we have lakes. Um, so I will. I did training on the lake, not a lot, about four or five hundred kilometers, I think, on on uh, the lakes. There's, there's a lake um, close to close to my uh, my uh, house, which is um, eight kilometers by by one and a half kilometers across. So, so you know, you just keep going around. The bulk though of the training was done in my living room. Um, I bought a, a, a rowing machine. A concept two uh, is a great rowing machine, and I did eight million meters, which is essentially eight thousand kilometers, in my living room, um, including a number of twenty-four hour rows. So I'd start at six in the evening on Saturday, for example, and rows to six in the evening on Sunday. Again, two hours on, two hours off. So quite, quite intense, uh, quite intense training. I mean, especially the last year, I used to train up to three hours a day, and on the weekend four or five hours a day mainly rowing also jogging and, and weight training but, but mainly mainly uh rowing so so that, that that's how i did it yeah no it paid off because d- during the 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 row i physically i was fine you know i, I was rowing 100 percent the first day 100 percent the last day you know my muscles were all okay they didn't i didn't suffer any any injuries any large injuries anyway hamstrings were okay because that was a concern but yeah it was all good We'll come to this in a minute, but uh, uh, the the actual rowing. But one last question relating to your training. Obviously, you're going to be rowing across the Atlantic. Did you yeah. have any experience at all? Because the Atlantic is big place, big waves, big winds. Did you have any yeah. training relating to that, or was it just a complete surprise? No, it was it was a, a, not a complete surprise, but it was it was new. I, I had never done it, and I, I didn't know how it would be. The good thing is that you know I, I grew up in in Slima, very close to the sea. You know, many times huge waves, and as as young kids and teenagers, you just go in the sea anyway, despite my parents telling us not to. Massive wave. So you you had an idea. Even we used to go to I remember to to uh, um, uh, Golden Bay and and Nine to Fiha again. Massive waves, and you just jump in. I, I know it's not exactly the same, but I, that had, that was a taste. The, 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 but you're right. The, the rowing itself was uh, you know brand new, and the the first few days. It was, I mean, I got seasick, but I knew I was going to get seasick anyway, because even in some training sessions with very calm waters, <laughs> I could seasick. It, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal because we were sort of used to it from home, whereby from, our, from my house, I mean, we used to see the sea and the massive, massive wave crashing on the, on the you know, the strand and, and the, the, the front in Sleeman. So, so yeah, well, that was okay. It didn't bother me more than too much, to be honest with you. Well, what I really love about your story, as I'm listening to you now, is that there is a massive portion of crazy in this Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. Because to go yeah, and do that is really bonkers, and I respect that. Listen, yeah, I want to ask yeah. you about your teammates. Ralph, Patrice, Julius, Dolores. Had you met any of these people before the start of the venture? <laughs> How did this happen? Because from what I understand, you met as you were about to cross the Atlantic. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and Ralph, I knew Ralph. I met him as a captain. We, we, you know, I wanted to know um, what he was like before going there. So I met him a couple of times, three or four times before. So it was 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 okay with him. But the other four, yeah, I met essentially a few days before before the road. We drove down together from Amsterdam to Portimao, thirty-two hour drive, a long drive. So you, you started getting to know each other a little bit then. 
but yeah, we, we didn't know each other during the trip. We, we did have some uh, some tensions and personality clashes because if you don't know someone, you don't know how they're going to react. You, you, you don't know what they're like. Let's put this way. If I had to do it again, I'd do it with people I know, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> that was great. It's still good. You know, you're all pulling the same rope. You're all, you know, going in the same direction. You help each other as much as you can. You share. So it was, it was okay. It was okay. Now, you talk about uh, the dynamics and you mentioned that there are times where there were clashes. Remind me how big the boat is that you were crossing the Atlantic. So, the, so the, yeah, the boat from tip to tip uh, is nine meters. So, of course, you, you lose a little bit on the on the outside. So it's a, it's a very, very, very small boat. You, you don't you don't move a lot. In fact, you go from your rowing place to the cabin, which is three steps away. You know, that's it. So you get up, turn around, three steps, stop. Get up, three steps, and you're back to rowing. That, that's it. And 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 you don't you, you don't have any private space. You you you're in a very confined space. So even if you know someone very well, spending so much time in such a confined space isn't easy. You know the the. I mean, you could be with your best friend. You bound to annoy each other at some point. Yeah, so it's understandable that we have these these clashes occasionally, but it was, it was minor things, relatively speaking. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you you said uh, if you were spending time with your best friend, you'd probably get on each other's nerves. But you weren't just spending time with people; you were sleeping with them, with total strangers. Yeah. You were showering, washing, <laughs> and pooping with total strangers yeah. as well. It's it's a reality. How did you initially break it's, the ice? Yeah. You, you know, you have to keep in mind that all of us had the same mindset in the sense we knew what was going to happen. Now, with with the with the pooping, it's okay because when you're rowing, you you give the the, the person who's pooping is at the back, and, and you give them. You don't look at them while they're pooping because, of course, it's very uncomfortable. So 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 there's there are people there, but they're looking the other way. It's still terribly uncomfortable because keep in mind that this boat is not still. This boat is actually bobbing up and down quite a bit. I mean, there are times when actually the boat, you got shade in the boat because the boat was so high up. And you had to make sure that you kept the bucket, you know, it didn't tip over because that would be very uncomfortable. You had to make sure that you wouldn't fall in the bucket. Or off the boat, uh, you, know, so, 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 you needed to have quite a few hands and legs to keep everything there. You, you get used to it very quickly as well, by the way. It's, it's, it's amazing how quickly you get used to things like these. There's no, no tra- training for pooping in a bucket. No, and even if you do train, you probably train on, on solid ground. It's very different. The, actually, the poop bucket was broken by one of the guys because he sat down on it. And I was like, well, it's obviously going to take your weight. But I... I uh, you know, either a wave pushed him or I don't know. So actually, we ended up pooping in the shower bucket, which meant that we had no shower bucket, uh, well, this, <laughs> which this meant is what, that we had no showers. This is what I'd read, because your red poop bucket broke, and yeah, so your black one. shower bucket became the poop bucket. So That's you exactly know, going right. back to what you were saying right at the very beginning about now you're on land and, and understanding how you take yeah. just things for granted... How yeah. challenging were the daily functions of just washing or or pooping or, or drinking or moving or sleeping? I mean, was this were these really challenging or did you just sort of get used oh, yeah. to it? No, you, you do get used to it at the end of the day, but everything is a is a task. If you want to poop, you have to plan it. You know, you can't be sleeping and say, Oh, I need to poop. 
I'll go out and do so because there are three guys rowing and there's no space to poop. The, one of the guys needs to go somewhere else and there isn't a lot of place to go on the boat. So you have to plan it. Even um, the, the story I say is one, one time I need to brush my teeth because my mouth was like, it's like death in my mouth. It was terrible and <laughs> horrendous. I hadn't brushed my teeth for about seven days, eight days. I don't know. I, I brushed my teeth in total about five times for the whole trip, just as a side point. But I was so tired. I just wanted to get to bed. And, and, you know, I was inside the cabin, so I couldn't actually, you know, drink water, spit it out and all that. So I had a wet wipe and I got this wet wipe and I just cleaned my teeth with this wet wipe. Oh. And it worked. And you might say, oh, it's terrible. But if you're in those conditions, that's that's very acceptable. You you can do that. It's not the same as brushing your teeth, but it's it's good enough. You know, even washing, I washed first, I, I, I think washed, washed, I think once or twice. The other times we're washing, so to say, with wet wipes. Towards the end, we're also running out of wet wipes. So then imagine you'd wash yourself, again in inverted commas, um, with three wet wipes. Head to, okay, not your hair. Well, actually, I would wipe down my hair, but it was pointless. Head to toe, and head to toe includes a lot of things. <laughs> and... and <laughs> Three, three wet wipes because you need to you need to make sure you have wet wipes for when you poop because if you don't then you have a bigger problem uh, you know, so so we, we 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 the joke the joke which we were you know uh, which we were saying on the boat was okay how many wet wipes will you give me for me to give you water you know that sort of thing so it was a whole we made a joke out of it it was quite quite uh, fine it's a wet wipe currency 20 wet wipes for a meal uh, you know that, that sort of thing Steve, I That's feel like I've gotten to know you very quickly. Um, <laughs> listen, you got going back to something you said uh, in the right at the very beginning as well about when when you started getting seasick. On one of your first yeah. updates, uh, you said that you weren't eating much, but making do with chocolate and energy drinks. You know, how long is a shift at rowing, and how much energy do you need? Because obviously, that was that must have been an alarming sign that must have been kind of a bit worrying that you were not eating and how did you resolve that yeah i, I, I was a bit worried actually um, especially when this dragged on for about three weeks uh, i was quite worried uh, and, but i was still full of energy I, I don't know why i really can't understand why um so i, I just had zero appetite i, I couldn't eat i just couldn't uh, i tried uh, and I, I take a spoonful and, and just not manage so i was having not even energy drinks. We didn't have energy drinks. We had. I had taken a bottle of Coke with me, so that, that really helped, to be honest. Um, and then it was just chocolate bars and, and maybe some Haribo sweets, that sort of thing. But, but again, not too much because how many sweets can you take? But I kept on rowing, and, and you have a two-hour shift, and you burn a lot of energy because this is not rowing calmly on an ocean. This is on a, on a lake. This is, I mean, you fight against the waves. Your your arms are all over the place. Your feet need to really power through. You really, really use up the, 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 the calories and energy. But for some reason, I still had energy. And I couldn't understand why I, I still had energy. And then it got to a point where I said to myself, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so I must force myself to eat. It, it can't be healthy. So and then I was preparing food. So you have these, these dehydrated, freeze-dried packets. And you pour water in them, and it rehydrates the food. So we had spaghetti bolognese, spaghetti carbonara, um, chicken tikka masala, green curries, all really nice food. Okay, it's in a packet, looks like dog food, but it's actually not too bad. 
So I'd, I'd do them and then force myself literally just just eat. You know, when you eat and you don't really want to, it was like that. I eat half a packet, leave it on the side, go back up to the next shift, force myself to eat the rest. Uh, and then I discovered there was custard with apple, which is lovely. Uh, so again, just pour water in it, you know, shake the thing and then just, just gulp it down because it was easier because it was sweet. Um, yeah, and then, and then well, only one time I actually managed to eat two packets plus a, a dessert, which is what you should do every day. Oh, wow. I only managed it once in the whole, in the whole trip. But I don't know why I still have energy. I, I, I can't explain that. Maybe that's why I lost so many, so many kilos, I guess. But uh, not, not the most efficient way to get energy, really. Great, great for the diet, though. I've got no doubt, and listening to you talking now, I've got no doubt that there must have been some incredible uh, challenges along the way of your adventures. And, of course, at the beginning of your trip, you're hitting three-meter swells. You've just started. Mm. You've trained in your front room and on a lake. As much as you've seen those big waves outside in Slema, there's a big difference between being in a three-meter swell and seeing a three-meter wave. Was there any ever any time along the road that you really thought that you're in danger or that you were worried or that you were concerned? Or did you just accept it as it went? No, you know, the, the, the three meters, they're massive. I mean, they're huge, to be honest. But the thing is, you, you find out very quickly that the boat is going to ride the waves and you, you know, you're fine. You see a huge wave coming and you know that you're just going to go right over it. Occasionally, the wave breaks over the boat and or you get a washout. We've got quite a few washouts. So waves will just come over the boat, throw you off your seat. As in fact, one I hurt my, my, uh, my finger one time. That happened very often, especially in the first weeks. But again, you get used to it relatively fast. You have to. There's no 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 choice. Um, the worst part, and at the very end, actually, there's two times. At the very beginning, we were on Paranka for three days, and we were pounded and pounded by waves. And you couldn't see them because you were inside the cabin, and the door was closed. You have to because the boat self-rights only if the hatches are closed. And on one of those occasions, we, we capsized. So the boat went you know, right on its side, even more than 90 degrees. I say 90 degrees, actually more than 90 degrees. So it toppled over. And then, of course, because it's a self-writing boat, it just threw itself back up. Inside the cabin, you're a little bit like in a, in a, in a, a dryer, a washing machine, where you're being thrown, thrown around. So that was I, was, I was scared then, uh, to be honest. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is getting serious now. Um, and the, the waves kept on pounding us, but then, then they calmed down and, and everything was fine. The second time I was scared was on the last day, we're literally seeing land. And, and in the distance, I see this humongous wave, a massive. I hadn't seen anything like it. And, and you could not only see it, you could hear it. And the hearing part is the scary part. So this, this huge wave is coming along. The, the skipper actually clipped on his safety hook, which he never did. And, and I was already bracing myself. I said, okay, just leave go of the oars, grab onto the, you know, they had these two uh, ropes on the side. Just grab on so at least when you capsize, you're holding on. That's how prepared I was. So you're just rowing and looking, looking to the left at this huge thing coming. For some reason, and I don't know how and why, this wave just broke meters next to the boat. I, I, I don't know how. And, and I, the, the waves were bigger there, by the way, because it was shallower, because we were going into port. Somehow, luckily, it, we were in a position whereby it just happened to to break just there, and and we were superbly lucky. But I was like, 
like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that was a close call. Apart from that, I mean, there, we had loads of, because it's always rough. It was never calm. But, but the thing is, and what was funny as well, you get a lot of waves coming really, really fast, and they just go right under the boat and don't affect you at all. And I could never explain how that happened. You know, this come, whoosh, the water all around would turn white, and you just look, look back, and it's like, okay, fine. Um, but you, you get used to it very, very quickly. And, and uh, you know, yes, you're going up and down. Uh, you, you know, yes, you have to roll. Your arms are all over the place. And you move off your seat or you fall off. But it, it's quite okay. It's not, it's not that bad. Well, you just mentioned back there, you mentioned that when you spotted land, and I really wanted to ask you about this. How did you feel? Mm. You've been 50 days at sea. You've been confined with uh, four other of your fellow crew uh, in this nine meter long boat and you spot land. How did that Fantastic. feel? Ah, amazing. Best feeling ever. It's something we dreamt of, at least I dreamt of for, for the previous 48 days. Best thing ever. First thing you actually see is light. So, so you know, light at the end of the tunnel, and I just think you actually do see light uh, because of the curvature of the earth. You see the light before you see the land. And there, the French Guiana, where we went, it was very the land was very low, so so you didn't have any tall buildings or anything. So you see the light, and you're like, okay, we're close. And you keep on going, and then you see the land. And I mean, I nearly cried. I'm telling you, it was so great. I was so happy, you know, jumping up and, and singing, which my, my uh, crewmates were very appreciative of because I can't sing. Um, you know, uh, but it was, was fantastic. And I keep this in mind as well. Um, when you row in the middle of, the middle of the Atlantic, there's nothing solid there, nothing static. So you row, but it feels as though you're in the same place. Because everything stays exactly the same. There's water around you. You know, you row for 24 hours. There's still the same water around you. You row again, and there's still the same water around you. When we passed the Canary Islands, okay, you saw an island, and the island started off, you know, at, at the end, and then you see it go by, and then you know you're making progress. Most of the time, you just didn't know. So it's a bit demoralizing when you row, 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 and it's like, Jesus, it's like we're in the same place, you know, because we're going relatively slow. We're doing an average of what? three knots so you don't you don't exactly see a wake behind you <laughs> so so yeah once you see the land and then you can see that oh, okay there was progress and then the did land it, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger did you ever have a moment where you when you saw the land and you were approaching did you ever have a moment where you were thinking oh wow this is it we're coming to the end i i went, yeah. i did you, were you emotional because don't forget you know you your yeah. brother's death motivated you to do this yeah it was uh, in in a funny way it was like you know i'm gonna miss this uh, this craziness um because you do you do actually it becomes routine and that, that, that's your normal then so you do tend to say ah oh, you know i think i miss it um during the the the, the crossing there was some point and I, I i can't remember when but i remember it very clearly that i sort of let my brother go uh, i know it sounds a bit strange but you used to say you know oh, it's okay you know you can go now i'm fine and then it was okay yeah and then and then, and then you, you you sort of uh, you can continue with life as normal you know and yeah so so and I miss it, but but it's it, it's it served its purpose and and uh, yeah it was was uh, was good in that respect 
Well, I was going to ask you what memories are hardwired, and you've just mentioned that moment of of letting your brother go, and I was incredibly yeah. moved by that. But uh, when there are other memories that are hardwired, in other words, not, I mean, obviously you have memories of the trip, but those memories that just really stick with you. I mean, you must have seen incredible skies and, and uh, yeah, you know, had exactly. experiences. What what is the, What are the hardwired memories that will live with you and stand out until the day you die? Um, even though there wasn't a lot, but the wildlife was amazing. We didn't see much, but I mean, you see a dolphin in the middle of the ocean, it's free. You see a turtle, a pilot whale, and then this, it's, it's fantastic. So, so there's that. There's the sunsets and sunrises. I mean, amazing. I'm, I'm not really the type of person who'd wake up early to see a sunrise. But wow, it's pretty amazing stuff. And you mentioned the stars. So you get this, this blanket of stars, you know, with this, this, very intense blue color it's it's nearly nearly purple and you could actually tell the constellations i only knew the plow by name but i could see the because i got a book before to, to to like learn and i could see them i couldn't name them but i could actually see them and we also saw one of them was the southern cross which you can't see from switzerland you can only see while you're in the southern hemisphere so so it, it's these sort of things also jumping into the water and being in the water where you like really one with the water i mean th that's what um you know that's the sort of thing which which is uh, hardwired usually and even even the contact with with the, the rest of the crew i mean we had our differences but we also had a lot of good times you know where we laughed together we worked together you know we ate together so there's a lot of social parts uh, and, and and the whole the whole thing was very positive. Yes, of course, it was tough. There were some fights. There was some tension. But it was very, very, it was a great thing, a very positive experience. So, so, you know, that's what I'm taking with me, sort of thing. Well, I was going to ask you my last question for you. Aside from losing 18 and a half kilos and having a cracking <laughs> tan, Steve, how has this experience changed you? Uh, you know, um, I've learned to be um, very, very more positive than before. Um, so, so you know, if you, you many times, especially in, uh, especially here in Switzerland, where, whereby the, the the group of friends is way, way smaller than in Malta, so you maybe have less less of that social interaction. You know, you tend to maybe get a little bit bit negative about things. But, but I've really learned that now, if you want to do it, you just can do it. You know, there's there's uh, it's all in the mind. Even if it's a desperate situation, even if you're on the brink of whatever, it's up. You can in, in inside you, you have the posit positivity to do whatever you want to do. Be it run a marathon, be it climb a mountain, be it dealing with death, which which I find incredibly hard. Um, to be honest, uh, you you have it inside you. You might think you don't, but you do. You just need to dig deep enough to find it. That that's that sort of that sort of thing. Yeah. Steve, it's amazing talking to you. I could stay here all afternoon and ask you so many questions, but I'm going to leave it there because you have left so much to inspire us and motivate us. I'm also going to just ask, how can people still donate and support your causes? 
Yes, yeah, so so uh, my my website with the links to the three organizations actually. There's hospice in Malta, and in Switzerland there's the the Krebs Liga, which is a Swiss cancer league, and Teredozom, which is an organization that helps children. So you can go there, click on any of the links, and uh, and donate anything uh, anything you you want. Every little bit helps. So um, I'd urge people to do that. Even after when I, I'll be closing it in a few weeks' time, even after, you know, you can help any organization. Could be, you know, I know Putinu Cares, for example, does a lot of amazing work. Um, they, they helped out a couple of friends of mine who, who lost their, their 15-year-old daughter to, to, to cancer a few, few, few months ago. And I was like, my goodness, I wish I could help them too. So, so even after, um, you know, it, it would be great if, if people, people did so. So, yeah, that's how they can help. At least for now, my cause, it's crossrower.ch and they'll find the, the links. Absolutely. Listen, Steve, thank you so much. I hope you find your land legs soon and stop swaying around. So <laughs> but for now, thank you very, very much indeed. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It.